publicly thank Jeff for being ready um, on a phone call on Saturday and saying, Jeff, I don't think I can do this. And are you ready? And he says, I'm ready. I'll take it. And Praise the Lord for our elders. Uh, they all have sermons that they're working on, that they're ready to preach, ready to teach, ready to defend the word of God. And, and it's, not, it's not just always just being ready to preach. Our elders are ready to take up the text when they need to. If that's counseling, if that's somebody discouraged, they know their Bibles. And I, I, church, I can't tell you how blessed you are of the men God has raised up here. I have not seen the likes of them in many, many, many years of ministry. So praise the Lord and slap them on the back after church and you know, thank the Lord. They'll give the glory to the Lord. I know them. But um, I am so grateful for them. I, I, I could not have done it last week. <laughs> I was sick. And uh, um, I praise the Lord that he's given me strength here today and we'll, we'll get after it. But uh, we give the glory to the Lord for our leadership. What a great text. Uh, verse 3, he ends with that he wants to glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. And you remember this, he said, although I myself, verse 4, might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. And he gives this list of credentials here that he used to hang on to, circumcised on the eighth day, the nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness, which is in the law found blameless. And then this great statement, we end it with this, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now here's our text we want to finish off today. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and counted them but rubbish, that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God, which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him on the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You may be seated. Father in heaven, we look at this text and it's overwhelming for me as a preacher, pastor. I look at this and say, Lord, how do I say this any better? How do I explain the profound depth of this text? So we ask that your spirit will say it today, Lord, that he will move within our hearts. He will speak through your servant. He will impress upon our ears, and, and more important than our ears, just our hearts, Lord, that the truth of this text will resonate with us. It will cause us to bring glory to you. It will cause us to sing because of all that you've done for us. So, Lord, I ask your help today that we would look at this text together as a body of Christ at Grace Bible Church and marvel, absolutely marvel at our salvation. Lord, thank you. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I started this text, and we looked at a couple of thoughts as we began to delve in. First of all, we looked at Paul's own conversion, how miraculously his conversion was. And by the way, if you, know, you say, well, my, my salvation wasn't like that. I just knew I was a sinner and I prayed and Jesus came in. That's a miraculous salvation, right? 
They're all glorious, right? Some, I read an article this week. If someone said, it was an article entitled, my sermon, my, my testimony is not very powerful or something like that. And the article went on to say, every testimony is powerful. There, there are none. You were dead in your sins. Dead, 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 dead. No life. And God made you alive. Do you get that? That's powerful. You were lost with no hope of being found. You're just going to die out there. And the Lord finds you. And I don't care if he does it at 6 or 60 or 93. It's miraculous. And so don't, don't look at Paul's testimony and go, Wow, I wasn't on my horse and got knocked off by light. Well, you were. You were riding your horse of self-righteousness. You were riding your, your horse of who you were. And the Lord plowed you. And said, you're mine. So every testimony in here is a beautiful testimony. Paul was used in an extraordinary way in an extraordinary time as the church was being birthed. And he was battling legalism and self-righteousness at its height. And so we remember, we said this in our first point about this. We said we need to learn to die to our identity of self, of fleshly gain. We all have things that we seem to want to hold on and say, oh, hey, this is, this is who I am. You know, when we study this text, we begin that stuff just sheds off of us. And Paul says, hey, do you want to talk about those things? Um, well, you know, if you want to put confidence in flesh, here's where my confidence used to be. It used to be that I was circumcised on the eighth day, and we, we talked about all these things, the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a poster child. He was a poster boy of what a Hebrew was to be. Took great pride in those things. He was a Pharisee, a keeper of the law, and believe me, I don't doubt that he didn't keep it perfectly, probably. But he knew that was not what would save him. And by the time he gets to verse 7, he says, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost. Now here's a key phrase, for the sake of Christ. For the sake of Christ. So way of introduction, I want to go to 2 Corinthians um, chapter 11. And I want to start there, and then we'll jump in and tackle the rest of this text. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, what does it mean to lose things for the sake of Christ? That word sake means for his glory, for his name, for his person. What would you give up? What would you go through to share the glory of Christ with someone? Now, this is a great text of the Apostle Paul defending his apostleship. Now, you remember, in the Corinth church, there were, th there were some coming and saying, Hey, I'm an apostle too. And yet they weren't. They were false apostles. You can see that in verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Verse 14, a very important verse. No wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You've got to remember, this is always happening to the church. There's always people coming, posing to be something that they are not. And Paul here is exposing what he would give up. If you drop down with me, oh... Um, to verse 20. We'll start there. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, if anyone devours you, if anyone takes advantage of you, if anyone exalts himself, if anyone hits you in the face. Will you tolerate that? You that claim to want to be apostles, claim to want to have authority over Christ's church. He's really wanting to expose them. Verse 21, to my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. 
But in whatever respects anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold as them. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Kind of sound familiar here? Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Now look at verse 23. Here's where he changes the theme. They probably could say those same things. Some of these Jewish apostate that were trying to make their way into the church, they could probably say things of 22. But here's where the rubber meets the road and things change. Verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. Wow, what a term. You ever said that about yourself? I'm insane for Christ. People go, yeah, you're... Paul says, I'm insane for Christ. I've lost my mind for him. He's, He's breaking away from the pack here. I more so in far more labors and far more imprisonments, beating times without numbers, often in dangers of death. He just separated himself from the crowd because false apostles are not going to go through that. They want glory, they want prestige, they want money, they want Armani suits, they want jets and buy islands and and go in to deceive the nations. That's all they're about. I don't need beatings without number. Can you imagine that? Look at verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Why not 40? Because that 40 would kill a man. Five times. For who? For why? Why not just say, you know, hey, I believe in Jesus. It's good enough for me. I don't need this. 25. Three times I was beaten with a rod. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day and I was spent in the deep. Shark Week's coming up on Discovery Channel. I get nervous when I think about that stuff. 26, I have been on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers from false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure And apart from such external things, that's just the external things, there's an internal problem. There is the daily pressures of me, of the concerns of all of the churches. See, you set yourself apart. There's a a deep love for Christ. And you know, all the apostles died. Not very nice deaths. John died separated. You can say, well, how about John? He, he died maybe on Patmos. Well, some say that he was able to come in towards the end of his life, but he was taken from the church he loved and, and put out on a rock island. You, you take a preacher away from his church, take a pastor away from his church, you'll kill him. You'll kill him. That's what he does. Men were hung upside down, sawn in two, heads cut off. See, they were gripped by Christ. And as you go back to our text, this is what ties in here, that you start to understand what he's talking about. Verse 7, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake, for the glory of Christ, for the knowing Christ, for the, the possession that we have in Christ. These things are worthless. 
You know, and it's one thing to say that. And I think what's so fascinating about this text is one thing to say that I'm willing to give up everything for you, Lord. The Apostle Paul did it. He gave it all up. All the prestige of being a Pharisee of Pharisees, the family of Pharisees, all the wealth and power and authority in the, in the security for your children. Can you imagine that? You can give your children and your children's children full security as long as they live financially. And you walk away from it for Jesus. See, these terms are strong here. I've counted those things as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Well, I want to look at the last several verses here. And I want to give you some thoughts this morning on the back of your bulletin and they're up behind me. The surpassing eternal value of knowing Jesus Christ. He goes into more detail here. Notice in verse 8, he says, more than that. You go, what? <laughs> more than seven? More, more than counting all those things as lost for the glory of Christ? He says, more than that. It, it's the idea of giving up the very strong understanding that God is never pleased. So he's going to go beyond, look, these things I gave up. I gave up wealth and, and health. I think you could say he gave up his health for Christ, right? Beaten five times, shipwrecked. I think you can say he gave up his health. But he's going to go more than that. It's more than physical is what he's after here now. I'm giving up any effort to please God through my own righteousness. You go, well, I can think about that for a little bit. Paul gives up so much prestige. And here, now he starts to change the subject to spiritual now. More than that, I count all things lost from the view of surpassing the value of knowing Christ. I'm going to give up all of the religious stuff that I know. All of my works righteousness for, for knowing Christ. And this in, immeasurable benefit of having a relationship with him. Paul says, I count, I also count present tense all things lost. Not just the past and the physical and all of those things, but the present and future self-righteous works become worthless compared to knowing Christ. Because I will never again put up what I've done, what I didn't eat, where I didn't go, what, what things I kept. Because they pale, they pale to knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Uses a term there, surpassing value. And the Greek word references an impossible to calculate. It means to, it's impossible to calculate. Your calculator doesn't go that high, is the idea. And just think for, for a moment here what can you put on your salvation? What, what worth, what could you calculate for your worth of your salvation? Let me give you just four thoughts there. Your sins. Your sin's forgiven. Can you calculate what that's worth? C could you put a dollar figure this morning on the fact of your forgiven of your sins? What, how much money would you give to have your sins forgiven? Is there any way to measure that thought? My sins are gone. 
The wages of sin is death, eternal death, eternal separation from the almighty God, never in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ again that has been granted to me, given to me. How do you calculate the cost of that? It's immeasurable. It's immeasurable. We're forgiven people. See, this is why you sing. I I sing because of all you've done for me. What about... What about the calculation that you get to quit trying to gain your salvation? Think about that. I no longer have to think about the scale system in regards to salvation. What's that worth? To think when you come at the end of your life and you're laying in the bed and your family who loves you is around you and you're thinking, this is a horrible thought. Have I done enough and will God let me in someday? How would you like to be thinking that on your deathbed instead of thinking, Lord, I await your presence. You cleanse me of my sins. I will soon step into your presence. What what value? Can you put a dollar figure on the freedom that you will have on your deathbed of knowing your sins are forgiven? Can you calculate that? What about worship? We're so blessed Both Darren and Ron lead teams that love the Lord and put us right at the foot of the cross Sunday after Sunday. Is there a price you can pay on that? They're really cheap. We don't pay them actually anything. They just do it because they love the Lord. But could you put a price on worship? Can you calculate that? That that you and I are now free, our, our tongues that express what's in our heart are now free to say Lord we love you Lord we sing because of all you've done for me saying that he is Jesus king of glory can you put a price on that it's incalculable and that's what I think Paul's saying and one more and I'm going to touch on this more at the end of the sermon is eternal life what's that worth (laughs) oh my goodness where are you going to come up for the funds for eternal life? You know, down through the ages, study church history, people would give indulgence to the kings and to the kingdoms trying to gain this stuff. And the priests, you know, they would, you know, you got one of these babies going and you get this and that because you gave money. And they'd actually think they would secure for that. And yet when they died, judgment waited them no matter what their economic status were. See, That's why Paul says this is a surpassing value. It's incalculable to know Christ. You can't calculate it. You can't see the full benefits. We we will spend eternity trying to get our minds around the full benefits of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. It's awesome. Let me restate some great gifts that I see in this text. First, the great gift of knowing Christ. He says, the surpassing value of knowing Christ, my Lord, my ruler, my Kyrios. He says this because he wants us to know that we believers get to commune with God through Christ. Did you catch that? Listen, you get to know Christ, the eternal son. The world thinks they know of a Jesus but they don't know him. 
You know him. If you, if you know Jesus, you know him. Listen to Jesus' word, John chapter 10, verse 14. I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own. And my own know me. Wow, what a truth. That's why you're here today. I hope. Because Jesus knows you, and you know Jesus. See, that's a great gift of knowing Jesus. He knows you. He knows me. There's a movie out where somebody's playing elf, and he's yelling, and Santa's coming. He goes, I know him, I know him. You remember that scene? I can't wait to see him. I'm going to be like that guy. I know him. I know him. That's my Savior. See, he knows me, and I know him. John 17, 3, this is eternal life. Wow, what a statement. Verse starts out that way. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life, that you may know the Son. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shone into your hearts to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Wow, what a gift. God Almighty, the same one who said, let there be light, boom, it was done, not over long periods of time, boom, nails it, right? That God says, I'm going to shine Jesus into your heart. Boom, it happened. Whatever day that was for you, when you came to know Jesus, boom, he just plowed through it. Right through the darkness and the muck and the sin in your life, God shines the Savior, boom, right into your life. So you know him. Listen to this verse, 1 John 5, 20. What a powerful verse. It says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Wow. So we know him who is true. Boy, the world's searching for truth. And they go right by Jesus. The verse goes on to say this, and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Jesus is the true God and eternal life, and you know him. That's why Paul is saying this is such an amazing experience. We get to know him. It's surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. Gnosis is the word there for knowing. It references the idea of a personal experience with deity. The Greeks used this word all the time. They would want to have some personal experience with the Greek gods. They would name their children after the Greek gods. They would do all kinds of things because they wanted some kind of experience with these deity that were way beyond them. Boy, they understood this language when Paul said this. Paul says, I gnosis him. I know him. I experience Christ God. Oh, they either wanted to throw stones or fall on their face, one of the two. This is powerful terminology. But I think what Paul is saying here is I want a deeper and higher experience than surface Christianity. I think this is probably the deepest section within the whole letter. There's a Hebrew comparison to gnosis called yada is the Hebrew word. It is the Hebrew counterpart that gives the idea of motivating knowledge and intimate experience through knowledge. So there is an intimate experience of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Christ is my Messiah. He's the sent one of God. He's the true prophet. Jesus is my savior. He is my true high priest. 
He is my Lord, my sovereign king. He's the ruler of all. See, there's, there's a relationship there. And I'm afraid as you know, we look and gaze through Christianity, so-called Christianity today, there's people, I, I just don't know they know him. He's a rabbit foot, you know, bring it out and rub the Jesus and the genie bottle thing. Maybe he'll make me rich. Maybe he'll, he'll give me my heart's desires. See, Paul's way beyond that. He's, he's a broken man before a God who brought him into an intimate relationship through Jesus Christ. Look at the latter part of verse 8. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, he says it again, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Wow. So at this infinite privilege of knowing Christ Jesus, Paul says all this religious stuff, because now he's talking about religion and all these things of, of trying to present myself before God, I sought to gain to get my salvation. I gladly count them as loss. And not just loss, but he uses a strong word called rubbish. We get the word waste, dung, manure, even human waste from this. And parents, we teach our kids not to use those words, but Paul uses it right here. My works are fill in the blank. That's what he's saying. My self-righteousness is a pile of... I hope that's not too graphic. But that's what Paul says. It's... That's how he looks at it now. Oh, can you imagine the religious elite hearing this? <laughs> the ones who have put all their stock on who they are, who their family is, what they've accomplished, what they have, their little trophy, religious trophies here. And Paul's saying, it's a pile of, you know what? It's not worth it. It's just rubbish compared to knowing Christ. Where did he get this from? Well, it's all through the Bible. Listen to Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. For all of us have become like one who is unclean. Do you know what that means in the Old Testament, unclean? That means you could not associate with anything that was of God, period. You couldn't be near the temple. You couldn't be near his priest. You couldn't be near anything. It's a strong term. And the Jews of this day hearing this are going, Wow. I don't think, I don't see myself that way. When he says, all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, and all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquity like the wind taken away. See, Paul gets all that out of Isaiah and writes Romans chapter 3, and he says, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seek after God. There's none good. That's where he gets all that. So, he looks at know, the gift of knowing Christ. You have a gift today. God's given you a gift. You can know his son. What a great gift. Look at the second gift. The great gift of Christ's righteousness. Look at verse 9. And that I may be found in him. Paul loves to express the believer's position in Christ. He does this so often. Um, he uses the word in him 75 times in his epistles. He uses the term in him or in Christ, this positional term, 164 times throughout the epistles. 
He loves to express our position in Christ. That you're in Christ. God looks at you in his son. And this is so helpful for the believer to understand how we now are eternally intertwined with Christ. You, you can't get, you, he's on you, he's in you, he's, you're in him, you're, you're, you're together. And Paul loves that. And he says, look, I have been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live. Paul's dead, Scott's dead, you're dead. But Christ lives in me, I'm alive in Christ though. And the life which I now have in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. But notice how, how powerful the saying goes on. Look at the rest of verse 9. But that which is through faith in Christ. Not, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Righteousness is not derived from the law. This is new to so many people hearing this at this time. Paul is telling things that people have never heard before. They have been told since they were little boys and little girls that you gain righteousness and you gain entrance into the kingdom of God through your righteousness, through righteousness you establish. They've heard that over and over. And here now, Paul says, no, there's, there's a gift that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ that establishes you right. See, Judaism was a crushing religion. It took captive people who were weighed down and Jesus himself said, Don't, that yoke is heavy, that yoke is, un, it's, it's too much of a burden, take my yoke, it's light. And his yoke was, I will do what you could not. And Paul, he knew this weight. You ever read Romans chapter seven? He just bears his soul of what he felt like under the law. He said, man, I come up against the law and I, why do I do the things that I, I don't want to do and it seems to take me captive and, I'm, and, and then finally he just gets to the end of Romans 7 he says, oh wretched man, who will deliver me from this body of death? And in verse 25 he goes, oh, I thank God through Jesus Christ. See, the law brings you face to face with your sin and the glory of God and his character and our sin and we go, how do I, how do I bridge this great span between me and God and that's where Christ comes in he is the end of the law he is the finisher he is the completer of the law and he brings us across in our deadness makes us alive and brings us into the presence of the father what a gift what a gift notice the text says having a righteousness of my own derived from the law that that's not what I want to be found in I want to be found in him he says not in that and this, this comes from faith in Christ. Righteousness which comes from God based on faith. And this is the great verse we know in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, he God who made him Jesus to be sin for us. So that means God imputed sin onto Jesus. Your sin. My sin. He took that and he goes, boom. That's when everything went dark that day. Do you realize that? Read your Bible. He's hanging on the cross and it goes dark. And everything begins to shake. And the father's turning his back on his son. 
And he's judging him for you and I. And Paul says, I don't want my own righteousness. I want the righteousness of Jesus. And and the father there at that time takes the righteousness of Christ and he puts it on everyone who believe. And that the day when you receive that and you understood that Christ died for your sin, God takes the imputed righteousness of Jesus and puts it on you. Isn't that beautiful? What a gift. God doesn't look at you in your sin-stained, filthy rags anymore. He sees you in his son, dressed in his righteousness. And sure, I'll tell you, our hearts melt when we think of what our sin caused the Savior to go through. But that sorrow quickly turns to joy when you realize that that was the way God establishes us free from our sin. And we praise him for it. Third, the gift of spiritual strength. The gift of spiritual strength. Look at verse um, 10 with me. He says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Well, what is Paul getting at here? How do you know the, the power of the resurrection? Well, again, I think Paul's heart cries out with a desire to know him, but particularly know him through his resurrection. And we're starting to understand that Paul is not just talking about salvation. He is now talking about a deeper relationship that believers have with Christ. In fact, in your initial salvatic experience, this drives this deeper exploration. Once you're saved and you start to understand that God has given us the righteousness of Christ, has cleansed us of our sins, has imputed our sins to him and his righteousness to us, now it pushes you and you go, I want to know this person that would do this. And you start to look into deeper exploration of who Jesus is. This is what saved people do. And Paul knew there was no power in the law for this kind of experience. He he knew the law could not give him a power of understanding the resurrection. But Paul, because now had this intimately relationship with Christ, this this in-depth understanding of who he was and what he had accomplished from him and had received his righteousness, the Holy Spirit's driving Paul to know Jesus, and particularly in in resurrection here is the idea of understanding the power that raised Christ. And and what Paul is getting at here, I believe, is he's he's realizing that the power that raised Christ raised me. Yeah, that's right. The power that raised Christ raised me. I was dead in my sins. Christ died for, for our sins, and the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, raised him from the dead, and yet we too are raised raised and we have power and we understand that in a level in a certain level i got thinking about this i said lord i need to understand this a little deeper what does this mean this power this resurrection and in in this great display of power so i so i went back and i thought about the resurrection i said what did it do the resurrection beat number one it beat death that's important because I want to live forever with Jesus. And I, I need death taken care of. I have a problem. I'm a human. I'm a sinner. And there's death coming. The wages of sin is death. I have a problem. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ beat death. Right? Is that true? Okay. So if Paul says that I want to know him in the power of the resurrection, I need to grasp that his resurrection resurrected me and that beat death. That dropped the shackles of death off me. Right there. I can prove it, and I'll show you in just a moment. 
The second thing is I had an issue with sin. Sin is what leads to death. The wages of sin is death, right? So, so sin had to be taken care of, not just past sin that could kill me then. I need it past sin. I need it present sin, and I need it future sin to be wiped out. I, I've got to deal with that. So when Jesus rose from the dead, not only did he take care of death for eternity, but he took care of sin. Now, now sin is taken out of the way. That's the power of resurrection, right? So Paul wants to know, he wants to know the power of the resurrection. Sin, I'm free from it. So Romans 6 says this. Turn with me, Romans 6, verse 4 and 5. Maybe a little farther. After reminding us that we've been baptized, immersed into Christ, verse 4, he says, therefore, we have been buried with him, verse 4, through baptism into death. So when Christ died, we died. That's the picture of baptism, why we do baptism still today, because it, it shows a very clear picture of the gospel. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. That means death's gone, sin's gone, right? For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Yeah, that's right. When Christ died, I died. Oh, that's good news. Because the old man, he doesn't have anything in the kingdom of God. There's nothing for him. He, he's not going. That's good news. So when he died, I died. Knowing that the old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin, there's the problem. Remember we talked about the problem. The body of sin might be done away with. So we would no longer be slaves to sin. Oh, isn't that good news? And if you know Romans 6, it goes on to tell you this. You no longer have to be a slave to sin any longer. It's the great difference of us and the world. What's the world? They're still shackled. Sin says to go here. Okay, we'll go here. Oh no, now I want you to go over here. Okay, got to go over here. That's where the world's at right now. They're just shackled. They're, they're slaves to sin. But Romans 6 says, you don't have to be anymore. In fact, you become a slave of righteousness. Now, you know, let's be honest, we stick our hands in the shackles every once in a while, don't we? Sinful thoughts, actions, deeds, things that are godless, we do that. But Romans 6 is very clear. We do not have to sin any longer. We are no longer victims of that enslavement. See, you're free from that. See, this is what Paul's talking about, the power of the resurrection. We know the resurrection. Death's been freed. I don't have to sin any longer. I can walk with the Lord. And the third thing I would add to that is you don't belong to Satan anymore. That's pretty good news, ain't it? Can we get an amen? amen. I mean, that dude's a pain in the neck. He, he, he's headed for destruction. And he's trying to take everyone he can get to go with him. He took a third of the angels with him. He convinced heavenly beings created by God for worship to follow him. He took a third of them. And I think he has the majority of the world. But when Christ came out of that grave and you came out with him, Satan is no longer your father. He doesn't he just, he just, he own you anymore. And, and you have victory over these things. And so Paul here believes in the power of the resurrection. It fuels this sanctified life. So he says later in Colossians 3.1, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. 
If you've truly been resurrected, keep thinking on the things above. Now, we have a problem with that, huh? Where Christ is seated. The right hand, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. That's where the battle gets, doesn't it? Right? It's hard. But you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Fourth spiritual aspect and great gift that God has given us is the great gift of fellowship through suffering. I could spend hours on each one of these and I want to be brief here, but it says, in the fellowship of the sufferings be conformed to his death. Another result of Paul's salvation was fellowship with Jesus Christ. Let me give you a verse. I want you to write this down, but I want you to look it up later. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says this. It starts with this little phrase and then a comment says, God is faithful, comma, through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I had forgotten about that verse. I came across it in my study and I thought, God's faithful. He brought me into fellowship with his son. Me, sinner, one who caused his death. Isn't that, isn't that incredible that he would do that? He would say, I'm going to bring you to fellowship. I'm calling you, Kaleo. I'm calling you out of the world to come and be in fellowship with my son. You don't deserve it. But I love grace and mercy. And I love you. And I've known you from the foundations of the world. And I'm going to call you into fellowship with my son. And the fellowship here is not just, hey, let's you know, have a picnic together. We have sweet fellowship. There's a lot of fun being brothers and sisters in Christ. But here he goes farther. I want to have fellowship of his sufferings and be conformed to his death, Paul says here. He says, well, how does that happen? Well, for Paul, it was very difficult. You remember in Acts chapter 9, Ananias goes to the Lord and says, hey, you've brought me this guy, Saul, this man, I've heard about this man. He's done great harm to your saints in Jerusalem. And now he has these papers and he's carrying them from the chief priest and he can bind anyone who calls on your name. He can throw them in prison. He can kill them. He can do whatever he wants. He has these papers. The Lord said to Ananias, go, he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the sons of Israel and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Oh, man. And he did. And I read you some of that. I want you to understand that he, he's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ because God called him into it and he gave his life for the glory of Christ. And you can imagine him being beaten and every stripe that he took, he could see the blessing of the glory of Christ going out from that. Somehow he connected that. I, I don't know if I could do that. But he learned, he learned to suffer for the glory of Christ. And, and, and I, I, I want to put this into something that you and I get our mind around. Because it's hard. It's hard for us. Paul says things like this, that he was filling up what was lacking in Christ's affliction. That he, he was carrying on where Christ left off and he would carry on the affliction for his glory. And I thought, well, I've got to put this in something that people who live in Hollister, California, go to Grace Bible Church and don't get lashes right now. How, how do I get my mind around this? Well, there's probably not anybody who hasn't suffered at some level in here. And you say, no, I've never been shipwrecked and spent a night in the deep. I've never been snake bit and whipped and stoned and left for dead. 
But you all suffered some way. Maybe somebody hurt you greatly. Maybe, maybe somebody ridiculed you for something. Maybe you've been despised by family because you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever it is, God allows us to fellowship with him in suffering. And here's what should come from suffering. Is that you understand Christ a little more. And, and when, we, when we suffer, let me tell you this, because I've suffered just a little bit, but when you suffer, you have two choices. You run and complain, and you go, God, why are you letting this happen to me? This is no fair. I don't like this. That's usually where we go. But let me tell you where the fellowship of the suffering comes in is when you and I finally bow our knee, and we go, oh, God, I accept what you've given me. If you want me to have cancer, I'm going to have cancer for your glory. If you want to take my husband away, I'll do it for you. I won't bow to sin. You want to take my child? I've watched people weep over sick children. I've heard those words coming up and say, Lord, you can take him. If it'll most glorify you, you can take him. See, this is what Paul's getting at. This is the suffering, the fellowship of the suffering that we can know, that we can trust God, that he's right in all that he does. And, and brothers and sisters, it's coming. There's a car accident in your future. There's someone who's going to die if the Lord doesn't return soon. You are going to go through something and you're going to have two choices. You're either going to be mad at God or you're going to pull very, very close to him because you can't survive the trial without him. Does that make sense? That's your only options as believers. And I believe me, the first one will come. You will be frustrated with him. And, and you, you may whine a little bit, but then repent. Say, Lord, you, I, I know my Bible too much. You, you're in control of all things. There are no accidents with you. It was a car wreck, and you determined me to be in it. And so I trust you. See, we, that's a trail we take, right? Because we're human. Grandparents? How are you going to do if God takes one of your grandbabies? Moms and dads, man. Oh, all four of my boys in church today. They're scattered all over the country right now. I have to think about that every once in a while. What am I going to do? How will we handle that? See, Paul had got to the point where he says, I want to bring myself closer to you, Lord. I want to know the koinonia of suffering and know you in a greater way. And brothers and sisters, God doesn't ask all of us to go through sick children or loss of a mate or, or something. He doesn't ask all of us to do that. But he does ask you to trust him when he does something that you don't understand. This week I was talking with a dear brother about the providence of God and I told him, I said, the problem with providence is we don't know what providence is until it goes by. Then we go, oh, that's what he was doing. Okay. All right, Lord, it was hard, it hurt, I didn't understand. Give me strength to follow you when I can't quite see where you're going. Because of my humanity, I'm human. I don't understand all of his ways. See, that's what he's after. He wants this. He wants to understand how suffering brings him closer. And when you suffer, when that next time comes and you suffer, maybe it's just a broken heart. Maybe it's an unkind word someone says to you. Say, Lord, I don't want to revile. You know, Peter said, you didn't revile when, when you were reviled on the cross. Say, I don't want to revile. I want to know you more. 
I don't want to hurl a stone when a stone's thrown at me. I want to return it with a kind word because you were kind to me. See, that'll bring you close to the fellowship of the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. I got to close. Too much here. Verse 11. It's a short verse, so that's good news. It says this, in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead, I, I put in your notes, your future lies with presently knowing Jesus Christ. I like that. The Lord must have gave that to me because I'm not that smart to come up with that kind of line. Our future lies with presently knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul knew his final gift was that he would receive from the Lord eternal life, a promise of the future resurrection. Paul knew that someday he would share in the glory of the resurrected Savior someday. See, he knew that. He, he even says that we're called and we're justified and we're glorified. He already sees our position in, in Romans 8, 29, is already glorified. God has outfitted us, prepared us to stay, to be in glory forever because he's taken our sin away. So he knew that. Verse 11 is a little difficult because of the very phrase that starts verse 11. And a lot of people have stumbled over this. And I want to set the record straight here this morning. It says, in order that, that's what the NASB says, ESV says this, that by any means possible, um, uh, King James, New King James say, if by any means, NIV says, and so somehow. All of those words fall short. <laughs> and, and let me say this, I assure you that Paul is not wondering what he must do to secure his resurrection. He, he, he of all people knows that the resurrection is the result of the finished work and imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. He's, so don't stumble over that. Now, there's people who do. There's people who say, look, this verse teaches that you must somehow get something to get to the resurrection. That's not what this is saying. Let me tell you what I believe it says. I believe this is so typical of Paul. Because Paul would never say something to undo the rest of scriptures. Because you don't go to the resurrection, your body isn't resurrected, you go to glory, this earthly body isn't resurrected someday because something good you did that would undo everything he's taught all the way through the epistles and all of scriptures, wouldn't it? Because that's works righteousness, right? So let me here tell you what I believe. I believe this is typical Paul. Broken, humble Paul. Remember, he's the one who said this, I am the least of the apostles because I persecuted the church. 1 Corinthians in Ephesians 3.8, he says this, I am the least of the saints. See, I think this is his way of saying, Lord, I, I don't deserve this, but I know you're going to resurrect this earthly body and glorify it someday. I think it's his way. This is the way he speaks. He, he is not one who comes out and says, look, now I deserve this. He says this in a broken, humble man who says, I don't deserve this. If somehow, God, through all this truth that you are righteous and you imputed righteousness to me, you will do this. And it's his way of placing full hope that God is going to resurrect our earthly bodies and match them with our souls someday and we'll be completely glorified and in his presence forever. It's his way of humbly saying, I believe this is going to happen. See, it goes against everything he has said. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to finish the job. You are going to be resurrected. 
You're, if you die before the rapture, your body will be resurrected and glorified and be in heaven for eternity. He knows that to be the final promise that God has given. Romans 8, I don't have time to go to it, but read the last few verses. He says, shall death separate us? No, he's, it's rhetorical. That's impossible. Death, nor angels, nor life, nor principalities. He goes through all that huge list. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. So, we know that the wretched man that Paul saw himself to be is resurrected and secured because of Jesus Christ. And Paul puts his confidence in it. He puts his confidence in what Christ has done. So, in closing, let me remind you of a couple of things. You have a perfect union with God through Jesus Christ. You have a perfect union, a perfect relationship with God. That's how he looks at you. Two, he's imputed his own righteousness of Jesus Christ to you. He's given you his own righteousness. You don't have to come up with your own. If you were here today and you were thinking, Lord, I'm a pretty good person. I don't know what this guy's talking about. I'm going to go to heaven because I'm a good person. Bail on that right now. Say, God, I reject my own righteousness and I accept the righteousness of your son and you will be saved because that's the only way your son is saved. So we have this imputed righteousness that justifies us. We have the power of the resurrection. Our sins are forgiven. Death is beat. Satan is bound and cast into eternity forever. And we draw close to Christ through suffering. And we're promised, we're promised glorification someday. Jeff, I think, I haven't heard the sermon yet, but he talked about the rich young ruler. And this is what you and I, every person has to come to this step. You come to this narrow gate, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. Jesus says there's a narrow gate. But there's also a broad road and it leads to destruction. And most people, the Bible is very clear, most people follow that broad road. It's like driving in to Vegas, lights and all kinds of stuff. And it just wide, six lanes, come on in. But there's a narrow road. And this lesson matches what Jeff taught on Sunday, as I believe, I know the message he was preaching, is that you and I come up to that gate and we look at that narrow gate and we go, hmm, can't take my righteousness with me through that. It's very narrow. <laughs> I, I gotta take everything off to get through it. I can't bring my Samsonite full of goodness with me. Or, I take that broad road. I can take all my stuff with me and go to hell. See, every person comes up against that. And you either say, forget it, it's a pile of, I'm going through the narrow gate. Or you follow on a broad road and you end up in destruction. That's what the rich young ruler did. He came up to the gate. The gate's Jesus, isn't it? <laughs> right? And he goes, hmm. Go through the narrow gate. Drop your works righteousness. Come bear before the Lord and say, I come in your son's righteousness and it alone. Will you have me? Father, thank you for this text. Lord, I 
get overwhelmed every time I read it, let alone try to explain it, Lord. It's, it is the pinnacle of this, of this epistle, Lord. It is the truth of how we're saved and, and then how we live, how, what sustains us, this power of the resurrection, this fellowship of suffering. So Lord, we like Paul humbly say, Lord, if somehow, some way, your grace manifests itself to us, that it would do that, it would be gracious and it would, it would take us bare and naked of any good works, we would attain the resurrection. So Lord, we thank you that we can come before you that way, Lord. We don't have to try to figure out the scale and try to be good and all those things that just wear man out, Lord. And eventually he throws his hands up. He doesn't want anything to do with church. He doesn't want anything to do with anything. He, he just gives up. And he goes down a broad road. Lord, we want to, we not only want to go through the narrow gate, we want to live in the gate. It's where we want to be. It's the road that leads to eternal life. So Lord, I pray for anyone in this room or hears this message in some way, Lord, that God, right now, you would cause them to, to drop their self-righteousness. To drop before you and say, I have nothing to offer you, God, but faith in your son and his righteousness. Lord, for us that know you, may we be reminded that sin, death, and Satan are beat we have victory over those things. And when we go through suffering, Lord, that we would crawl to you, we would come to you, even in our difficult times, we would know you more, Lord. We would fellowship with you in a deeper way when we suffer, knowing that you set the example. And you are our help, and you are our guide. So, Lord, we marvel at this text, and we give you praise for it. May the truth of this never end, Lord. And may we spout these things both in this life and the next, Lord, for your glory. Be with us this week to live these truths out in Jesus' name.